Hello and welcome to The Dad Whisperer. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Watson, and I so love having you here again today because you know that my goal is to help dads become heroes. And again, just so you're all aware, I now have every one of these broadcasts on a podcast on iTunes at The Dad Whisperer. So you can go there and subscribe. You can also go to my website at drmichellewatson.com and get whatever resources you need so that you can put into action your heart of love for your daughter. Well, you know, every week I have a template of on your mark, get set, go, because I picture you dads getting ready to run your fathering race this week. Every day, you know it's a new race. And I'm your coach helping equip you to run your race with more skill, intention, and consistency. Well, I'm going to give you a quick backstory to today's program. And that's that about a year ago, I wrote my Dad Daughter Friday blog with a title, When Your Daughter Writes You Out of Her Life Story. And in it, I told the story of one of my longtime close friends, a dad who opened up about it was what it was like for him to work through estrangement with one of his daughters that literally ripped his heart out, as you can imagine. Well, a year ago, we did a Q&A for my blog, but I never gave his name. I kept it anonymous. But today, that friend is joining me here to tell you his story in his own words, and I'm so honored to have my friend David Moreau joining me today. Welcome, Dave. Hey, good to be with you, Michelle. And you guys that are listening, you may recognize his name. You may have walked by a book stand, choice books at the supermarket or an airport, and seen he's written books called uh, Why Men Hate Going to Church, which, by the way, has sold 125,000-plus copies that are in print. He's been on the New York Times bestseller list, Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, just to name a few. He's been on PBS, the NBC Nightly News, Fox News Channel. He also is the founder and director of Church for Men, which is an organization dedicated to restoring a healthy, life-giving masculine spirit in Christian organizations. And for you women, you may have seen a book that he's written called what your husband isn't telling you. So Dave is a is a man's man that has been a voice across this nation for both men's and women's issue issues. And I'm so honored that he's here today. And today, the mark that we're starting with the theme is when your daughter writes you out of her life story. So Dave, now that we're putting the get set part into motion. I know that this is requiring you to open up about a very painful story that you've lived with one of your daughters that has included agonizing distance with her. And a year ago, you told me that it had been almost three years of very little contact with her. And I know that your story today is going to touch the hearts of fathers who are walking a similar road with their daughters. So thank you for your willingness to open up and share the real underside, the underbelly of this kind of heartache from a dad's perspective, because I know, too, that a lot's happened even in this last year. So, Dave, let's start by going back, and I want you to just tell as much of the story to set the backdrop that you're comfortable sharing so that our listeners today can track with you. So tell us about your relationship with your daughter, Penelope, and give us a backstory. Yeah, well, we're going to call her for, call her Penelope for the purposes of this interview. Um, just to protect her privacy. Um, 
but yeah, we, you know, I, I always loved all my kids, uh, felt like I loved them equally, but, you know, just sometimes when one of the, one of your kids doesn't feel loved for, for whatever reason, and that's been the situation with Penelope probably since she was a teenager. Um, she's a very sensitive soul, um, has a very uh, high uh, level of anxiety and nervousness, um, and takes everything as, to very much to heart, even the slightest criticism or attempt to um, correct her uh, would result in a, just a, a real spin down of anxiety on her part. So that caused a wedge during her teenage years. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, when she was about 17, she left uh, the state where we live, moved to another state. We didn't really hear much from her for three years. The only person she'd have contact with was her mother, and uh, she really kind of she never she wouldn't talk to me at all, wouldn't answer my calls, texts, anything like that. It was a very very distressing time uh, for me and for all of us, um, didn't have much contact with her siblings either. Mm. So just a, just a, a very difficult time. You know, we, Gina and I felt like we were good parents. You know, we, you know, we raised her in a loving, what we thought was a very secure home, but you know, she chose to, to rebel against that and go off and do her own thing. And it was just a very long period of estrangement. Uh, I had to work through a lot of my, my hurt through that, and which probably it's probably coming in other questions, so I'll just leave it there. <laughs> okay, okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah so like you said, you, she has two older siblings, and you're saying, okay, we, we had a dance with them, if you will, as mom and dad, and it just, the same dance didn't work with our youngest. Well, that's true. Yeah, every kid's different. Um, and uh, just, it was just her, she, she does have a very, she does struggle with uh, anxiety more than the, the other two do. And, uh, you know, the other two have, uh, have never had a problem, you know, putting themselves forward in a public forum, but uh, our youngest is very shy. And I think the way she deals with that anxiety is to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was the target of a lot of that withdrawing. Yeah. So, I mean, Dave, as, as you look back, how have you understood her reasons for distancing from you, or is that even still to this day a puzzle for you? <laughs> well, um, you know, as I mentioned, she does have the anxiety and you know, in most uh, marriages, there's a what I call a, uh, a a law parent and a grace parent. You know, the law parent is the one that enforces the rules. Yeah. The grace parent is the one that comforts. And in, and in my marriage, I was the law, and my wife was grace. So she would constantly, uh, she really clung to grace because it felt good. Mm-hmm. And, but when, you know, a person came along and says, hey, you need to do your homework or you need to clean up your room, and that was usually me, um, that created resentment. And, you know, I just thought it was normal teenage angst that, you know, kids go through. You know, they gotta, you've got to clean up your room, right? You've got yeah. you to get your homework done. But these things really wounded her deeply because of her, um, I mean, she just really, really took them personally. That, like, like I, she would hear things I wasn't saying. Like when I said, hey, your room, your room is it's a mess. It needs to be cleaned up. She would hear, you're a terrible housekeeper. You'll never amount to anything. I mean, her yeah. imagination just amplified these fairly innocuous, what I thought were innocuous statements, into judgments of her character, which I never intended them to be, but that's what she heard. Mm-hmm. And I remember you, Dave, telling me that, you know, like prior to the age of 12, you guys were close, and then it just changed. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely when we were little. I mean, you know, we were, we had a great relationship, you know, where I was rolling around on the floor playing games, she was doing my hair when I had hair. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, we 
her favorite thing is she has a very orderly mind, so she would line up her stuffed animals, and I would I would you know come by and say, all right, let's have a beauty contest, you know, and we'd, <laughs> you know that this animal has great great hair, and I love this animal's paws, you know, and yeah. you know we would I'd be the judge, and she would line them up and declare the winner, and you know we'd play all these games, and you know, but then when she was about twelve, all that sort of went away, and she realized she had to put away childish things, and with that went our relationship. Yeah. Wow. So then you said, okay, so between 12 and 17, it's getting, you know, tougher to track with her, to connect with her as she's distancing. And you can tell that she's sensitive and has a lot of anxiety. And knowing you, I know you were doing your your best to try to pace with her and understand her. And then all of a sudden she's out of there. 17, different state. What was that like for you as a dad? What did it feel like to just have her out of your life all of a sudden and then over those three years? Well, I'll tell you, it really put me on a journey of self-discovery. Um, mm. I don't want to make this about me. You know, it, it, it's all about her, but God showed me some pretty amazing things about myself. For mm. the first, you know, three or four months of her departure, I was all about righteous anger. I was like, well, you know, the way she's treated us, you know, she doesn't deserve to be cared for. And, yeah. you know, boy, if, 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 I, I think of these crazy things like, well, you know, if I died, then she'd miss me. Then she'd be at my funeral. You know, this crazy talk that goes on in your head mm-hmm. where you justify yourself and you make yourself the hero of your own story. Mm-hmm. Well, I was totally into that. But after about three or four months, my uh, anger toward her for, you know, going off and abandoning the family, that, that kind of waned and a new emotion replaced replaced it, which was just compassion and care. I mean, I really, at that point, I really didn't care if I was right. I didn't care if I was ever justified. I didn't care if she ever apologized. All I wanted was a relationship with her. Mm. And you know, that, that, just going from that transition, from that righteous anger to that desire for relationship, really showed me the Father's love for me. I constantly would pray to God. I'd say, God, how can my daughter treat me this way? And God would say, well, you treat me the same way. God, how can I? God, how can my daughter ignore? Her? I want to love her. I want to care for her. How can she do that? Well, that's how you do me. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything my daughter was doing to me, the, Jesus gently showed me that's how I've treated him in the past, or continue to treat him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having my daughter run away was actually probably the most advanced course in theology that I had ever had. Uh, probably better than enrolling in seminary. I, I now understand God's deep and abiding love in a way that I never would have understood had my daughter not left, because I experienced that change. I experienced that desire for relationship above all else. Wow, that is so powerful. I mean, Dave, what when you look back, what was one of the hardest things, or what was the hardest part of her being gone for you, which may have been different than Gina? Well, Gina maintained a texting relationship. She got a weekly text, or, you know, I mean, Penelope was never very good at communicating at all. You know, she doesn't like to communicate again. It has to do with her anxiety. She doesn't like to be on the phone and stuff like that. And I can understand that. That's fine. But uh, but I, I was completely cut off. You know, I'd send a text, no response. I'd send mm-hmm. a call, no response. My wife would occasionally get a response, you know, once every two weeks. But it was just really, really hard not knowing, you know, where she was, what she was doing. Um, the father feels responsible for the safety of his children. Yeah. You know, and I there was no way I could protect her. I mean, even if she was in trouble, I literally, she had prohibited me from having any contact with her. So I literally could not get on a plane unless she was dying. Um, So I was not able to fulfill my God-given role. I had to just sit back and, and, you know, watch what was unfolding. And 
and I had to keep my imagination under control because when you don't hear from your kid, of course, you know, you're imagining them, you know, in a, in a dump somewhere. Well said. You know, it's, mm. it, it, it's tough on the father that way. Yeah, and you mentioned that your wife did get weekly texts. So, I mean, I imagine dads that are listening today that have, have gone through very similar roads with their estranged daughters are, are saying, okay, how did you manage that whole aspect of watching your wife have communication while you're cut off? What was that layer like for you? Well, it's jealous. You know, I mean, you you look at that little text that, and again, it wasn't weekly, but it, it was at least there was some communication there. She would answer her mother, but when that text would come in, it's like a starving man looking at a big banquet meal and just saying, "Oh my gosh, I would wish I'd just love to have an emoticon, just some yeah. acknowledgement that I yeah. exist and that I'm not Hitler." You know. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have to you have to sit back. The the Bible verse that we constant that guided us through this whole process was the story of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Uh, you notice the, the father did not go to the far country and and find his son and say, "Hey, slap him upside the head and say, hey, you dummy, you spent all your money. I'm going to bring you back home." Yeah. No, the the father stayed home. The father waited, and so and I kept waited. looking. <laughs> Turned to well, I was oh yeah, I was looking, but mm-hmm. I was not going. You know, it's at, the father's at the end of the road. The father is not. Father didn't go 400 miles to find his son. He went to the end of his own property. And so that's what I did. I stayed on my property. I was looking, but I was not going to go and insert myself into her life until she was willing to, uh, until, until she was willing to make the move. Mm-hmm. Is there? I mean, when you look back, is there anything that you believe that Penelope misinterpreted or even misunderstood about you or your intentions that drove her to leave in the first place? Yes, um, there was some. Without getting into too much detail, there was some lightly illegal activity going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not, not, she wasn't doing felonies, okay? Right. But, but there was some, some, you know, teenage illegalities in her life, and we called her on those things. And I said, you know, if this doesn't stop, I'm going to turn you in. You know, mm-hmm. kind of a tough love approach. Right. And that's the switch. That was what, that was said, my, she thought, my dad's going to send me to jail. i got to get out of here. So, you know, in hindsight, I, I should never have pulled that lever. I should have figured out another way to explain the severity of what she was doing and the road she was going down, yeah. but I should not have threatened to turn her into the cops because that really, that was the excuse or the uh, trigger, whatever you want to call it, but that was the, the thing that tipped her into, I must get out of the state. I must yeah. leave because my dad is a bad guy who's going to send me to jail. Okay. Wow. I mean, just hearing you say, as I look back, like, here's the me now that would have told the me, you know, four years ago to listen, you know, here, here's my best advice looking back, which I'm hopeful will be helpful to other dads who may be right in the midst of that decision-making process right now of how to respond, that they're learning from you as you look back. So, Dave, I, I mean, I have so many questions. Um, another one that comes to mind is, is there anything that you can share about, like, what your thought process has been like in You've shared a little bit now, but just about understanding or come to coming to terms with or being honest about the role you've played in her leaving home and not wanting, you know, to contact you for so long. Well, um, my thought process is, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I just didn't realize how sensitive she was even to the slightest negative comment. You know, I'm a pretty even-tempered guy, but... Um, and, and, you know, compared to my dad, who was like a volcano ready to blow at any time, I always thought of myself as really, you know, just 
you know, I'm firm, you know, and I'll get after kids if they don't do their chores or don't do their homework or they're slacking or whatever. But, you know, I don't, I don't scream at them. I don't talk yeah. through things or any of that stuff. I just, I just, hey, you know, you need to straighten up. You know, that's my tone. And, you know, I tried to say three times as many encouraging things as corrected things, but, you know, you just have to understand that every kid is different. And a kid with that high level of anxiety, you've got to figure out a way to make the truth apparent and let them know that, that you know, they're messing up, but in a way that doesn't trigger them to have, have an anxiety attack. Yeah, yeah. Because when a, when a kid's having an anxiety attack, they're not thinking rationally. They're not thinking, well, you know, That's dad true. loves me, but I need, and I need to do my homework. All they're thinking is, I've got to get away. I've got to escape this this person who's making my life hell at this time. It's, I mean, if you could imagine somebody choking you, you know, at that point you're not thinking of anything else other than removing the hands from your throat. You know, that's that's, and that's how a person with anxiety thinks is they're choking. You know, they're dying. I have to remove myself from this situation. They're not thinking rationally. Yeah, home so, isn't safe. You know, I've got to get away from home to be I safe. I must get away. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm I'm using that term figuratively as a metaphor. I never choked her. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But good just, clarification. Yeah, but I'm just saying that it. it, um, it, it I just learned a lot about dealing with people with anxiety issues, and and you know I'm convinced that God gives us our children for a reason. He gives us our children to teach us things, mm-hmm. and and, um, and that's something that He's taught me is to be much more gentle. Yeah, and uh, and it's also given my life an opportunity to be a little tougher too, because you know as I said in our marriage, I was the law and she was the grace, and she's had an opportunity now to kind of lay down the law a bit and grow a bit of a spine, and and Penelope appreciates that. Yeah. Yeah. And you've you've answered this a little bit, Dave, but I want to ask ask it again, just as we continue to kind of peel back the layers of this for you as a dad, is looking back, is there any other things that you would do differently with her? Looking back, uh, when, when Penelope was 17, I got her to agree to go to counseling with me. But uh, the problem was I had trouble finding a counselor who had an opening. I mean, I live in the dysfunction capital of the world, Alaska. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all, all the counselors here are packed out for months. Um, and it's funny, I kept getting Christian counselors, and where she was at that point, the ones that were available were Christian, and where she was at that point, um, she would not sit with a Christian counselor. Uh, she was just very antagonistic to Christian things, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I'm a Christian, and I represented that to her. So I dilly-dallied around, and by the time I found a counselor, she was no longer willing to go. She had already taken off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those wounds remained open, and I and she suffered a lot because we were not able to resolve our issues. And uh, you know, I regret that I that I did not pursue that option more aggressively. Yeah. Well, now let's let's bring everybody into the present. So things dramatically changed about a year ago. So, Dave, take me back to the first time that you saw your daughter in three years. Well, um, about three years ago, actually, about two and a half years ago, I. It was Christmas time, and I, I had heard through the grapevine that her cell phone had broken. So I sent her a little cell phone in the mail for Christmas. You know, it wasn't an expensive cell phone. It was, you know, a little, little smartphone. I sent it to her, and she was so touched by the gift. Mm. She was having such a terrible Christmas. She was all alone that she actually texted back and said, thanks for the phone, Dad. It was the first contact I'd had in two and a half years. And Huge. I started, yeah. I started crying right on the spot. And um, I texted back to her, and then she told me she loved me. And by this point, I'm a blubbering mess. Mm-hmm. So it was really at that, it was two Christmases ago that I began to finally see a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, 
again, I played the role of the prodigal son's father. I didn't run down to this other state to rescue her. I didn't insert myself into her life. I would just, I would just text her on occasion. Sometimes I'd get an answer. Sometimes I wouldn't. And this went on for about three or four months. Well, then I heard, again, through her mother, that she was in a really tough situation financially, that uh, she had no food, that she was living in a pretty shabby situation. And we had this uh, condo that we own up here in Alaska that just would not rent. It was just the craziest thing. I just kept trying to rent it, and I, I ran seven people through there, mm. and nobody would rent it in a very hot real estate market. It was just really, really odd. Yeah. So I said to God, I said, God, why won't my condo rent? And he just said to me, you know why the condo won't rent. <laughs> Offer it to your daughter. Mm. And I went, well, she's, she said she won't take anything from her father. I said, just, she said, just do it. Just listen to me, son. Yeah. So my wife and I prayed about it. We agreed that it was a good, a good thing, and we offered it to her at no charge until she could get her feet under her. She could just come up here, live in this condo, you know, have hot and cold running water and a shower and a nice place to live, and which she was not experiencing. Yeah. She was very wary of the offer. She thought it came with a bunch of strings. We told her no strings attached. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so she finally came up here, and that in itself is quite a story. But we got her up here. Uh, after a week, I saw her for the first time. She invited me to come over to a coffee shop and uh, walked up to her, and there she was. Hadn't seen her in three years. Much, you know, Her hair was longer, and you know, things were different about her. But um, you know, I kept my face positive. I, I kept, you know, just kept it on light topics for a while. It was incredibly awkward for the first 10 minutes. I mean, she was just chain-smoking, yeah. and you could tell she was very nervous. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was just me and my daughter again. I mean, it was just really quick how quickly we began to talk about things from the past and mm-hmm. had her laughing and she was, you know, she was telling me a little bit about her life and, you know, we spent the next two hours together, just very, very comfortable. And awesome. uh, so, so she, we got her into the apartment, we got her safe, we mm-hmm. got her a job. Um, she's had a little trouble keeping a job, but she's got one now she likes. Uh, her life is stable and uh, we saw her Christmas, saw her Thanksgiving, have a wonderful time. Don't spend as much time with her as I like. I think the anxiety issue is still there. Still yeah. trying to get into counseling. Yeah. But, you know, all in all, the trajectory is very positive. Um, her her heart is healing. Her prefrontal cortex is forming, and she's beginning to think more logically about her future. Awesome. Uh, you know how kids, teenagers, you know, when they're in their 20s, so yep. they think, oh, you know, I might need a career. <laughs> exactly. Well, Dave, let so, me just even ask you another question is because we're getting close to the end here, but what would you tell other dads whose hearts are breaking that are going through a similar story as yours? The key to my story is you have to get to the point where it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Remember, I was thinking, that little brat, she's so ungrateful. You know, I was going to retaliate. I was going to teach her a lesson. And you have to shout down that, that dialogue that's going on in your head. You have to remember that it doesn't matter who's right. What matters is the restoration of the relationship. You have to give up your right to be right. Yeah. And you have to do whatever it takes to restore that relationship. You know, the time for correction, can't, you know, if there's this major blow-up, the time for correction can come later. Now, I'm not talking about enabling a very, uh, you know, destructive person. Yeah. But there are times you have to shelve your anger and you have to mm-hmm. say, well, the, the phrase that went to, kept going through my head is, you can be right and be lonely or you can forgive and be loved. And so I just had to go through a continual forgiving process mm-hmm. of myself for making mistakes, of you know, my wife for enabling, and of my daughter for abandoning me. Yeah, wow. And I just had to decide over and over again that forgiveness was the way to go. Yeah. And so now we're in a much better place, and 
And, you know, the time to talk about these things will come. Yeah. Amen. So we got about a minute left, and I love to end up with just a go step on your Marcus Set Go. Dave, could you give one go step, one action step that dads can put into action with their daughters going through something similar as you? Well, the go for me is that you have to decide if you want to be right or you want to be loved. You can't do both. You can't insist on, you know, being the right, being the one who's in the right. You have to take the blows like Jesus did. You know, uh, Penelope came back to us at Easter time, and uh, the sermons that our pastor were doing, he was doing a powerful sermon on the crucifixion, a sermon series on the crucifixion. And I could relate to it on a very small scale. Uh, you feel like you're being crucified when your kid rejects you. But, you know, Jesus went to the cross, he took the blows, they were undeserved, and as a father, you've got to do that too. You've got to lay your life down for your kid. Yeah and get into relationship with them so that the Holy Spirit can do the work. You don't do the work, the Spirit does. Yeah. Wow, Dave, it's been such a joy to have you here today. If you're just listening in, I've been talking with my friend David Murrow, who's an author and a dad that has gone through some deep trenches, into the trenches with his daughter, and is coming out the other side as we speak. So, Dave, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a joy to talk with you. Thank you for having me on the show, and I'm thankful to God, and I'm thankful to my daughter, Penelope, for being willing to overcome her anxiety and come back to her daddy. All the fathers out there, there are better days ahead. Don't lose hope. Keep your faith in God, and keep your faith in your kids, and between you and and the Spirit, you can overcome anything. Fantastic. I couldn't have said it better. So thank you, Dave, for being here, and I say, go dads. 